Welcome once again to Devotional. This is Pastor Ariel, and we are on lesson number three entitled Preparing for Change. I'm back. <laughs> Man, I've missed doing this. It's just time, 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 time. I'm sorry that I haven't been able to uh, record sooner other uh, episodes prior to this. Um, I have so much to tell you. As if, well, if you're a member of the Oakwood Church, you know that uh, we were in a mission trip to El Salvador for 10 days, and uh, that just snowballed into a whole bunch of other things that I needed to catch up with when I came back. But this this is something that I've been praying and trying to figure out how to redo so that it is consistent. So I'm just going to continue developing this. And so right now we're going to be doing a bit of a change. I'm going to do all the days in just one episode, and I'm going to divide it with some audio. I'm just giving you the heads up so that when you see that, you know, the length of the episode may be a bit long, it's because it's the entire week. And so we're going to begin with Sunday, April 14th. The, this, the title of that uh, day is Unprepared. And of course, the, the whole lesson is talking about changes, and changes are things that are unexpected. Um, by the way, when I talk about certain things during the week, specifically marriage, I'm going to add some extra bonus links. Um, and you're thinking bonus links. Well, if you go to the podcast description, you're going to see all the links actually to the Sabbath School lesson, podca- um, audio resources, uh, gazoobers of other free things that you can use, Bible reading plans. Uh, I want us to you know, make this uh, a complete package, not just about the Sabbath School quarterly, though that's going to be the central focus, but your devotional life which will empower us to devote all that we are to the Lord. So look for those links, make use of them. I'm hoping and I'm praying that you will make the most out of this podcast. And if you're blessed by this, I would appreciate it if you would just take the time to at least just uh, leave a, a little rating on the podcast, whatever platform you're using. If there's a way to rate these podcasts, uh, these episodes, uh, I'd appreciate it if you do that. And if you are able to leave a review, um, it always helps other people find uh, this, this resource easier. So Sunday, April 14th, being unprepared, um, we have a passage uh, from 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13, and it, it summarizes the experience of Israel in the wilderness, and it's a it's an admonition to us, and Paul basically tells us, do not crave evil, do not become an idolaters, uh, do not become idolaters, do not act immorally, do not try or test the Lord, and do not grumble. Those are the five uh, categories or uh, identifying things that Paul points to that Israel did while in the wilderness. Uh, All these changes that they experienced provoked these things in them. And Paul is telling us we are also on a journey. Just like God took them out of the land of Egypt into the promised land, we are also coming from the land of slavery to sin into the promised land of the new Jerusalem of heaven, which there will be no more sin. But during this trajectory, we will be experiencing changes on a day-to-day basis and these are the reactions the normal reactions that a sinful human being will have we will grumble we will rebel against the lord we will choose the easy path of immorality of idolatry of craving things that are evil that are harmful for us for us that's the 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 degrading sickening process that sin produces in us it makes us crave that which harms us god changed israel's geography god changed israel's occupation God changed Israel's status, and God changed their day-to-day experiences. They were going from Egypt to Canaan. There was a geographical change, moving, moving to a new location, moving to a new house, new state, new job. All those changes can provoke these things inside of us. And we don't even know these things are in us until change takes place in our lives. 
we're going to go from being slaves to being free. And being set free from being slaves to breaking bricks, they needed to understand that that was just a small, small experience of experiencing freedom. God wanted to set them free from the, the slavery of sin in their hearts that led them to create things that were harmful to them, to worship things that would never satisfy them, and to act in ways that were self-destructive to those around them. Um, and so God was trying to, through these changes, bring awareness of the things in their hearts that needed to be transformed and changed and the experiences of the manna, the drinking of water, all of these experiences, Mount Sinai, were designed to correct and to facilitate a positive change, a positive reaction to these changes. And the Sunday finishes with three examples of three individuals that beyond what we can learn from those five um, reactions of Israel to the changes that God was, God was bringing to their lives. These were not just random changes. God is the one that took them out of Egypt into the promised land. Um, in, in the New Testament, uh, the, actually two passages from the New Testament, one from the Old, the lesson finishes with three stories. Acts chapter 5 verses 1 through 10 focuses on Ananias and Sapphira. Genesis chapter 16 verse, verses 1 through 6 focuses on Sarah as she chose to relate to Abraham and Hagar. And Matthew chapter 20 focuses on James and John as they try to relate to Jesus through their mom. Now the first one, Acts chapter 5, with Ananias and Sapphira, there's a financial change. Um, there, there was a change, an unexpected change. They, they had made a, a promise that they would sell a, a piece of property and, and whatever they made out of it, they would give that to the church. But they got a lot more than they had thought. And that change, that unexpected change, um, they chose to relate it in a way that they chose the path of greed, the path of, path of deception. Which brings to us questions about what happens or how do we respond when our finances change. You know, I, I began to write down some things that were assumptions. But when I thought about them, I thought, mm, this is not true. The assumption is that when you are poor, you tend to be more faithful. But when you're rich, you tend to be less faithful. But I think that is a challenge for either way. Um, when I make little money, I'm, I'm tempted to complain and grumble, like we read earlier uh, in the experience of Israel. Um, when I make little money, but then I make more money, when my, my financial status changes, when my salary now becomes way more uh, affluent, how does that affect my spirituality? Um, if I was poor and committed to the Lord, if I was faithful and committed to the Lord when I was poor, would changing my financial status to being of making more money would I remain faithful? Or would that change provoke in me craving for evil things uh, to now experience idolatry that I did not have before or choosing behaviors that are immoral? Um, the change of finances can affect our spirituality and it can go both ways. If you are wealthy and become, you become poor, it does not, it's not necessarily mean that now you'll become more faithful. It may mean that you might pray more, maybe, but... Um, if, if you go from making a high salary, you know, six-figure salary to making, you know, just barely making ends meet, you may be led to crumble, to try the Lord, to complain, to, to blame Him, and to choose to act immoral, to rebel against the, the principles that you at one time had espoused. So changes in either direction from going from poor to rich or rich to poor, that change, financial changes, have a direct bearing on our spiritual responses, how we relate to God. We can't separate that. We should expect it. 
So if you were a broke college student and then you ended up in a career that landed you in a good paying job, how have you responded to the financial blessings God has allowed in your life? Has that made you more faithful? Has that brought you closer to the God, to, to the Lord? Um, if you were to lose all of that today, how would that impact your life? The second one is Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 6, which, you know, at surface we would say always wanting to have a baby. And yes, to a big degree it was for Sarah, but panoramically, looking at it from a big picture, the real big test that Abraham and Sarah had was waiting time. Finances is one area that, you know, unexpected financial changes can have direct bearing on my spiritual life. But time... It changes in my expectations of when things should have happened. I should have finished college by now. I should have had a career by now. Um, I should be married by now. There is a church member that I'm not going to say his name. Um, well, well, I'm, I don't know if you'll listen to this, but still, <laughs> I'm not going to say his name. But if you go to Oakwood, you know exactly who I'm talking about. He's getting married in two months. And said, I've been to Oakwood now, uh, this coming May, I'm going to have been there for seven years. And he was single when I came there. And he he was praying about a life companion. Well, he's getting married in two months. Um, that was a long time waiting. And there are other young adults in our church that are also waiting. Waiting for, you know, will I get married? Um, I, I've been waiting to have children, which is the immediate context of Sarah and Abraham. Waiting is an unexpected change when we thought that in the the experiences of time we would be somewhere by now and that has not yet happened and we are still waiting the the waiting aspect is a change i thought that by now i would not be waiting but here i am still waiting time is that the experiences that i thought by now are changing um i had expectations that i thought would have been fulfilled but change in time that's what's affecting me in my faith. And when waiting brings about changes that are unexpected, it has a direct bearing on my spiritual life, my commitment to the Lord. Sarah and Abraham chose to step out and try things differently, take things, take matters into their own hands, and we learn from their consequences. But I, I can look back at my own life and recognize that I regret many things that I chose when I was waiting for things, you know, waiting for marriage, waiting for, and my church by now already knows what I'm gonna say, waiting for my green card. That's right, almost 30 years, almost three decades waiting for that little card with some numbers, waiting, by now I should have, by now I should have. Are you in that waiting stage right now? I'm gonna read to you a verse from Hebrews chapter 11 um, that for me, I think addresses this. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39 and 40. This is not in your lesson. This is just additional uh, insights that I'm bringing um, to supplement what we're doing this week in the lesson. Hebrews 11, 39 says, all these, the long list from chapter 11, these are the last two verses of this chapter. And all of these, Enoch, uh, Noah, Moses, Abraham, all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. They believed that they would receive. God had made promises that they would experience certain things, but they died waiting for them. You know, the big takeaway from that verse is there are things that I may be waiting for that I may never get in this lifetime. And it's better for me to wait not having received them than to have received them by my own means, than to have tried to achieve them by my own terms, by my own strength, 
through my own wisdom, through my own understanding. And that's the temptation of time. We change throughout our lives. And with those changes in time, expectations take, take place as well. Society ex has expectations on us. You are now 25 and you are not done with college yet. You are in your 30s and you've changed your major. You are 35, you are still single. Have you heard those things? Um, have you, are you experiencing those things? This lesson addresses that. And, and Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39, invites you and I to rest, to trust. If God has promised, he will fulfill. Wait on the Lord. Have you heard that before? Wait on the Lord. It sounds easy. There's songs that we sing about it. But to apply it to real life, we struggle. We struggle with change. We struggle because... As we struggle waiting on the Lord, we are tempted to crave evil, to become idolaters, to act immorally, to test the Lord, and to grumble, of course. And I did plenty of grumbling waiting for my green card. But until I learned to wait, um, until I learned to surrender my expectations of time, it will be very difficult for me to surrender and to continue trusting. Um, not waiting means not trusting. Waiting means trusting, therefore I surrender this to you again. The last one is Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 22. Uh, two disciples of Jesus, John and James, James and John, and they have, they have these expectations that are, are starting to change. They were, they were thought that, they were thinking, you know, uh, we need to establish a kingdom of power and authority and force and violence that will conquer everybody, but Jesus is not going in that direction, yet they still have their hope centered on earthly success. I have expectations of earthly success and change in that aspect is just not acceptable. So to guarantee, to guarantee even with that mindset that in this earthly government, this earthly rule, we're going to be at the top. I'm going to, we're going to use our mom as leverage to manipulate Jesus. We're not going to spend too much on that. I think that's enough. It's pretty obvious, but expectations of success changes in expectations of success you know you go to school um you get a degree and you have expectations of success maybe not just personal expectations but parental expectations societal expectations community family expectations you know they are expectations of success and what is success and are you successful do you feel that you are successful um, and i'm speaking of course to those individuals that uh, are looking at it from the, the aspect of careers are you being a successful student? Are you sure that the major that you're in is what you are gonna be happy and fulfilled for the rest of your life? Will this bring success? And what is that to you? And uh, how am I relating to all of this with Jesus? James and John did not go to Jesus for success. They went to Jesus to use Jesus to give them what they thought was success. What is success to you? Life changes, life brings changes. And what you thought might be the success you needed to obtain, as you relate as a Christian to Jesus, Jesus may give you a different picture of success altogether. Um, and we're not gonna expand too much because we don't have, I don't wanna make this uber long, but I'm hoping to provoke thoughts in your mind as to what it means when changes happen in my life. Financial changes, time changes, success changes. All of those things are just a slice of life and how I relate to them, how I relate to those changes has a direct bearing on how I relate to God. And the lesson is an appeal 
whatever stage, whatever experience I may be having right now, choose to not crave evil. Choose to not become an idolater. Choose to not act immorally. Choose to not test the Lord. Choose to not grumble against Him. Choose to wait. Choose to trust His promises. Choose to trust His heart. So we're going to go now into Mondays and Tuesdays lessons. We're going to do this together since they are tightly linked. Uh, marriage and parenting. Um, there are phases that can potentially teach us how to love in increments. And as I looked at both of those days, I realized um, this is not just a linear experience, though we experience time linearly as a society, as a community. This is a cycle. And I'm going to begin with you know the sons and the daughters, um, children. We begin, you know, single, <laughs> and we learn to love from our mom and dad. So our first lesson, you know, as we prepare for marriage and parenting, it actually happens in our childhood. We learn how to do marriage from our parents. We learn what love is, how to love from our parents. Our parents teach us how to love when we are children, and we are children, and we remain their children even when we're no longer when we are no longer children. And I hope that made sense to you. I was a 25 year old, still single, but to my parents, I was still their child. That's what I'm trying to say. I was still their son. So until I get married, that that label, that that role of mine does not change. So I, I as a single person, your parents, uh, hopefully, you, both of them, if not both one of them and if none of your parents hopefully a grandparent or step parents whoever may be your adult role model um, that raises you and loves you and nurtures you they are the ones that teach you how to love and as you learn how to love as a child that will translate as to how you learn how to love as an adult in a marriage context but once you get married it's not like okay i've graduated as a child i learned how to love now i'm going to love you no 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 you learn how to love as a child, but now you're going to learn how to love as a husband, as a wife. And so you learn how to love from your husband and your wife. Um, and this is preparatory, preparatory phases. As a child, you are preparing yourself to learn the basics, the, the foundational principles of what love is, so that when you get married, you can take these lessons and begin to apply them. But not as a graduate student. You don't receive a diploma that, you know, now I'm ready to love you the way you're supposed to be loved. But rather, I have learned some basics, the 101s of love, uh, faithfulness, obedience, submission, trust, uh, truthfulness, honesty, integrity. All those things you can learn as a child. And even though it's not in the context of marriage, the, those principles carry over wonderfully if, you will, if we learn them. But if we learn to be impatient, greedy, selfish, manipulative, deceptive, all those things unfortunately also transfer into our marriage. So we, we have to think of this, this cycle in which as a child, child, I am learning how I'm going to prepare myself to love my spouse in the future. But that doesn't mean that you're ready because when you get married, your wife, your husband will teach you uh, how to love in, in ways that you did not expect. You know, as a, as a child, you, you have to, there's a level of sacrifice in which you want, you know, to do these things, but mom and dad said no. So you learn to deny yourself. As a husband, that same lesson is applied, but at much deeper levels. Um, in ways that, you know, 
the relationship with a mother, father, and a child would never happen. It happens within the marriage context. And in the marriage context, a husband and a wife will learn how to love in preparation for becoming parents. The, the, the years in which a, mom, a husband and wife spend without children, some people it happens, you know, short. <laughs> uh, some people it happens prior to, they're, they're, you know, but, you know, in, in, a, in a general sense. And, I, and when we received counseling, when Dalina and I received counseling, they told us, give a couple of years before you have kids. Learn, get, get yourself used to each other, blend a bit, uh, give time to nurture your union learn to love in the context of husband and wife so that you will have a better idea and you'll be somewhat more prepared, somewhat more prepared to parenting. And so when you have a child, you can say that in this sense, it's a culmination, cumulative culmination of learning how to love as a human being. We begin to learn how to love as a child. Then we'll learn, continue learning how to love as husbands and wives. And then we continue to learn how to love as parents and yes you say oh what about grandparents right there's a certain face to it and we'll talk about it a bit later but as grandparents will tell you the the beauty of being a grandparent is that you don't have to raise that child well hopefully you know and if you do then that's that's another phase that's just part of life and god god provides grace for those circumstances but in a a general sense parental love to our child is the highest and and my argument for that is enoch right in genesis we see that the bible says that an enoch um, had a child methuselah but and after he has that child he walks with god prior to that he had a relationship with god but having a child cumulatively speaking you know he was a child at one time he learned lessons from his parents then he got married he learned lessons from his wife and then he had a child and cumulatively all of these life experiences gave him a, a rich view of relationships and of course with God in the context that enabled him to understand the love of God for him in ways that were unprecedented in ways that he had not experienced before so it is a cycle and it is a cycle that uh, my wife tells me you know when children are born they have windows of time to learn these things uh, motor skills and visual skills and, and coordination skills that you need to be aware of so that you are providing opportunities for the child child to develop, you know, the pincer, you know, the putting together the, the thumb and the index finger. All the, these little skills have bearings on, on future development. They're foundational, they're steps that facilitate learning other skills later on. And society, I think, to a great degree, guided by the adversary, is dwarfing and stagnating and preventing much of the development that could happen during childhood that would enable me to be a better husband. I can speak that from experience. You know, the, the, a lot of free time to play video games and watch television, um, just the, the lack of developing the, the, the skills and the habits of industry. Not that you don't take a break, not that you become a workaholic, but that you figure out ways to inculcate in the mind of a child. I like my room clean. I like being tidy. I like putting things away. I like having a house in order. Uh, I like having, you know, my toys put away without being told eventually you know doing it because i like clean i like order i like good grades and i like good grades um for the right reasons and and not necessarily because to be competitive to look better than other kids um those are all phases that require time investment and effort on the on the behalf of the parents 
which create principles. And I, and I can imagine already you are already thinking about this. It creates principles within the heart of a mind, within the heart and mind of a child that makes it easier for that human being to learn how to love a wife, to learn how to love a husband. And in that context, um, it just, those, those windows of time in life, are you using it to the best of your potential? If, if I'm a parent, um, am I allowing, is this, is, am I aware of this cycle that I'm teaching my kid, I'm teaching my daughter, I'm teaching my son how to love so that this is preparatory for them one day to be married and have a, a, the best chances as possible to have a happy marriage. No marriage is perfect. All marriages have their flaws and, and challenges. But boy, you know, it when you have learned how to love with these, these basic elements, it makes marriage easier. It makes the transition of loving your mom and dad to loving this person that you met three, four, five, six years ago go a lot easier than if you are learning them in the marriage context. Because you're going to learn them anyways. If you choose to get married, whatever I didn't learn in my childhood, I have to unlearn and relearn in a marriage. And that process takes time. And during that process, there can be a lot of heartache, a lot of misunderstandings, and it could bring a lot of risk for that marriage to fail. So these phases of life are crucial. These windows of opportunities of learning the basics, preparatory skills that accumulate and cumulatively allow me to have a, a growth in my understanding of what it means to love God and love other people becomes a tremendous blessing. And I'm going to close with two verses, and I'm not going to read them. I'm just going to contrast them. You are probably very familiar with these passages. Um, if you're not, I invite you to read them. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8 is the classic verse from the Bible that we use to define love. Love is, love is, then love is not, love is not, love is not, and finishes with love wait love hopes love never fails and then you have exodus chapter 20 verses 1 through 17 which is not in the lesson this is the contrast that i realized in first corinthians 13 paul mentions two things that love is that love does then in the middle he places a whole bunch of things that love does not do or the things that love is not and then finishes with things that love does again love never fails love hopes for all things um and this sandwich of positive with two, two positives and a negatives in the middle is the inverse of Exodus chapter 20, which begins with you shall not, you shall not, and then closes with you shall not, you shall not. But in the middle, you have two do's, two yeses. Honor your mom and dad. Remember the Sabbath. God places a family at the center of the Ten Commandments. And at the center of the Ten Commandments, it's surrounded, it's fenced in by a whole bunch of no's that protect it. But within the marriage context, you have all of these yeses, the yeses that we need to learn so that the, the counterpart, the opposites of what love is, will not manifest themselves in the home. In the home, the yeses protect the no's. In the commandments, the no's, the, the, you shall not protect the yeses. That remember the Sabbath day and to honor your mom and dad. I'm going to leave that to you for you to chew on that, for you to ponder on that. But as we look at our life, in which phase are you? Are you unlearning the things that maybe you have learned at home and relearning a better way to love your wife, your husband, your children, your parents? We are never stuck. And that's the beauty of this lesson. We began this week looking at developing. We need to develop character traits. We need to develop new ways of doing life. Our parents, 
as much as we love them, are imperfect individuals. You today can relearn and unlearn things that you may have learned in the past. And Jesus invites you from the scriptures, from this lesson, to learn a better way to love, to love the way Jesus loved. All right, we're going to be getting now into the last part of the lesson uh, for Wednesday, April 17th and through Friday, April 19th, um, old age and death. <laughs> wow, what a happy way to end the lesson. <laughs> um, but it's not bad. If you look at the lesson, the context, especially as a Christian, it's, it's not, uh, oh, you know, I don't want to look at this lesson. I don't want to think about death. Um, I believe that the more we understand the gospel, the more we understand Jesus, the less death should affect us and the less being old should offend us in the western culture you know being old is just a curse and it's as an unwanted experience and we fight it tooth and nail you just look at the cosmetics industries you know millions of dollars to avoid wrinkles to not show my white hairs etc etc um but in the bible it actually exalts old age the Bible is realistic. Society, we are so shallow, but the scriptures are pretty realistic in that as you get older, and we, like the phases that we spoke of just recently, you do accumulate the capacity to love, and with that comes wisdom, wisdom should come wisdom, and appreciation of life. Uh, I'm going to be turning 46 this month, actually next uh, Thursday, next Wednesday, I turned 46. And I've asked myself that question. You know, I look at my pictures when I had hair, <laughs> less belly, and I wonder, you know, would I want to go back to being 17 again? They're the only reasons that I would think that or want to do that is to redo some key choices that I made in life as a young person. But I think of, you know, if I were to go back to that age, I would also have to give up everything that I've learned so far. And you know, I don't want to. I'd much rather be 46 with what I know than to be again 16 and 17 and not know what I've learned about the Lord, about life, and about myself. And I count myself privileged, blessed to be where I am in spite of the choices that I've made in the past. It's certainly a journey of grace, and I'm sure you can sympathize. You can understand, probably in your own journey, hopefully you can understand and see the grace of God in your own life as well. That we can look back and wish we could redo some things, but by the grace of God, we are here. Um, but the point is, age brings that benefit of perspective. Age brings that, that uh, ability to truly begin to grasp what truly matters in life. And the, the Bible, the lesson points to Psalm 70, uh, chapter 71, to learn three principles um, that, you know, as you get older, you begin to realize these are the real issues in life. This is really what makes life beautiful. And the first one is to develop a deep personal, personal knowledge of God. The second one is to develop good habits. And the third one is to develop a passion for God's mission. And as I said yesterday, that's the, the, the key word right there, develop. It's a process. You are still developing. You, you can still learn. You can still grow. Um, you don't, don't, don't look back. Keep looking forward. This is a forward movement phase. And don't, don't let the, the past mistakes um, wound you, wound your conscience with so much regret that you fail to change. You fail to realize, you know, we're, we're malleable. Just like we could make changes that have affected us, you can make changes positively that can have a positive effect as well. So uh, this, these three, you know, develop a deep personal knowledge of God, develop good habits. 
um, and then the third one, develop a passion for God's mission, they sound, um, this you know, separate, but they're actually one and the same. And for me, if there's a, a gasoline that keeps keeps that engine moving forward of, you know, a continual development of a personal knowledge of God, a deep and personal knowledge of God, a continual development of good habits, and, and a continual development of passion for God's mission, I believe the mission is crucial and key in this. Once this process gets started, um, I think it is crucial for it to keep going. And the way it keeps going is not simply by you having your own personal devotions, because we stop sometimes, right? Sometimes we wonder, why haven't, why, why is my prayer life in the dumps? Um, why are my habits regressing? You know, I used to have really good habits. I started going to the gym, diet, whatever. Why am I, <laughs> why am I eating this family-sized bag of chips all by myself? Um, why are my habits not the way, not progressing, actually regressing? I believe, this is my personal conviction, that mission plays a key role in my development of these three aspects. Um, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 is the verse that I want to look at as we close this week. Um, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, be, for me, experientially, um, provides the evidence that what I'm telling you is true. And I'll explain just a little bit. Um, Hebrews 3.13 says, <clears throat> excuse me, but encourage one another daily, or day after day, says the New American Standard, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is, as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There are three things that Paul highlights in this short little verse that <clears throat> embodies this idea of passion for missions, feeding into and mobilizing my desire for a deeper personal knowledge of God and the continual desire to develop good habits. Um, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It brings me in perspective the idea of if I'm looking at this development of personal knowledge, good habits, etc., on a me basis, it will fail. Mission does not necessarily imply that I'm preaching evangelistic series. It could, but as a default, I think many, not everybody gets to do that. But everybody is a missionary. Everybody has a mission field. And what is that mission is each other, one another. And Paul says, encourage one another daily, day after day. The two translations complement each other. It's on a daily basis and it is on a continual basis. There is no finality. This is not something that you should have to put into your calendar, into your smartphone. You know, Siri, remind me next Wednesday to encourage sister so-and-so. No, no, it's today. Today, choose, pray, think of someone you can encourage, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today. What does that mean? Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can make choices that are good instead of the choices that were poor that you made yesterday or the day before yesterday. Today is a brand new start. Um, in Lamentations chapter 3, it tells us that the, the mercies of the, the Lord are new every morning, meaning today. Today you can enjoy God's mercies, and today there are other people that are in desperate need of those mercies too. And since God was gracious to you this morning, today, can you not pass that blessing along and choose to send a text, choose to send a message, choose to, I mean, we have, we have social media, right? What can you post today that can be of encouragement that comes from you? 
and as a pastor, I will challenge you to not simply, you know, you know, copy and paste something. What we said, you know, a deep and personal knowledge of God. If if I want to share something that has touched me, I have to read something that touches me. If I want to encourage someone else with something that has encouraged me, I have to have that experience first. And the motivation is not for me to have it, but for me to be able to share it. They two feed on each other. So once you re- realize the blessing and the joy it gives you when you share something with someone else, <clears throat> excuse me, and they somehow either by a phone call or personal conversation or even a text tell you, I needed that. That was so encouraging. I was ready to give up. But now when you said that to me or when you reached out to me with that, I have hope, I have encouragement, I'm going to press on. You know how you would feel when someone would say those words to you. And that's how Paul finishes this verse. So that none of you, both the ones being encouraged and the one doing the encouraging, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin can make your heart hard. And by that, it means indifferent, confident in your own strength, prideful. That's what hardness means. It doesn't necessarily mean stubborn, but it actually does mean prideful. Sin can harden your heart into making the Christian walk all about yourself. I'm going to share to you with you two stories of um, two individuals that have touched my heart deeply. Um, one is, I mean, there's several, but for this particular uh, lesson, I'm going to tell you a story of Myrna Witzel. I, I met my dear sister at the Village Church when my wife and I were pastoring there what we were doing our, um, I was doing my master's, um, going through Andrews. And Myrna, um, as we got to know her, um, her, her and Earl, her husband, Witzel, uh, Earl Witzel, had begun their journey as missionaries decades earlier in Brazil. They were fluent in Portuguese. And uh, they helped in the development of the Adventist University in Brazil. And they did that for many years and eventually came back and the Lord and his providence provided a home for them. But they were they were always missionaries at the village church, always doing things for other people. And, and they, they were not individuals of a lot of means, very humble. But the Lord would op- always open doors, op- open doors for them to serve. And the village church, while I was there, had an opportunity through uh, Robin Beatriz Rittenthaler to go back to Brazil. So they were excited to go back and they connected with so many people that loved them. They, because they encouraged, they gave of themselves to encourage others in Brazil. Those people in Brazil expressed such gratitude and appreciation. Both of their hearts were kept soft. Both of their hearts were kept sensitive. So Earl and, and, and Myrna came back energized and blessed. And, you know, Earl now rests rest in Christ. Earl passed away a few years ago. But you know what? Myrna is still young, <laughs> uh, young enough to say yes. She was in El Salvador just a few weeks ago, um, serving in the kitchen. And though Paul says our outward man wears out, our inner, inner man becomes newer day by day. I, I was convicted in a beautiful way by Myrna. Being a missionary is a lifelong experience. It doesn't stop when if you were a literal missionary, you were sent overseas and when your time overseas was up, you came back and you went back to normal life. Myrna is a missionary 24-7. And because she has a passion for mission, 
She has developed a lot of good habits throughout life. She's still growing. She's still developing. She hasn't arrived. And Myrna has developed a deep and personal knowledge of God. She has gone through many phases in life. And Myrna is, you know, preparing for it to become old. <laughs> She's not there yet. But she has lost her husband along the path. And that is a, a change. And God has been with her through that change. But throughout this whole change, that conviction, that passion has never left her. Um, I'm going to tell you and someone else, someone that's personal to me, um, because he was there when I was in, in my crucial years of being a teenager and a young adult, um, Robert Smith. If, if you're an Oakwood member, you've heard plenty of him in the Monroe Church as well. I love this brother, but I'm going to tell you not his story of how he blessed me. I'm going to tell you about what he shared with me about mission. He became passionate for missions. When, when his wife Kay passed away from cancer many years ago, he realized that his number one mission field were his grandkids. Were his grandkids. His parents were Christians, um, busy with careers. Um, and Baba came to understand certain specific truths from Scripture. And they're bearing on us here as, you know, we're getting ready for Jesus' second coming. So his grandchildren in that context became his mission field. And he invested financially for them to receive an Adventist education. He invested of his time. He invested of himself continually. To this day, his grandchildren are still his mission field. Two of them have gotten married already, but they're still his mission field. He loves them. Until the day Bob dies, until that day, he is a missionary for life. And because Bob is a missionary, he has developed and is still developing a lot of good habits in his life. And he's still developing a deep and personal knowledge of God. Do you want that? Do you want to have this experience? You have to realize it's for the rest of your life. You need to say, Lord, I don't have it right now. But I'm thankful that the lesson has that one key word, develop. If you don't have that, start there. Encourage someone else. Encourage your parents. Encourage your spouse. Encourage someone in your church. As you seek to encourage someone, commit to doing it day by day, daily. Commit, it, commit to do this for your whole life. As you do this, their hearts and your hearts will be prevented from becoming hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Your heart will remain soft and impressionable, sensitive to the voice and the love of your Savior, Jesus Christ. May God bless us with a heart that is passionate for our entire life for God's mission. I sincerely hope you received a special blessing from today's episode on devotional. I pray it has inspired you to turn the study of God's Word into a daily habit, as well as using the study tool of our Sabbath School lesson. If you haven't yet subscribed on iTunes or whichever platform you listen in, would you please do so now? This way, you will be notified each time I publish a new episode. 
It would also mean a lot to me if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast. You doing this will help others discover this spiritual resource. I would really appreciate this. I would love for you to connect with me through my Facebook page, Devotional Podcast. There's a link in the show's description that will take you there. I will regularly post additional resources there as well. It would be so good to hear what you like and what I could do to make this podcast a bigger blessing for you. Lastly, would you consider making a monthly 99 cent contribution to this podcast? It would help offset the long-term cost of producing each episode. Thanks again for listening. Look forward to our next time together in the next episode of Devotional. Until then, this is Pastor Ariel inviting you to devote all you are and all you have to our Lord Jesus Christ.